groom. Oh, yes, the groom. Well, that detail could wait until later. There were more important details to think about than the groom. Besides, he would be chosen by your parents anyway. After your engagement, you had a year to plan the typical length of all Jewish engagements by Jewish law. Keep holding me down just, just a bit. Now, after all the planning and preparation, the wedding. Your family had gone to great lengths and expense to decorate your home. The wedding ceremony and feast would be held in the spacious, lofty great room where you ate as a family. It was brilliantly lit with lamps and candlesticks. The guests were scattered around low tables and couches with cushions covered with tapestry. Some were seated in chairs. The bridal blessing has been spoken. The bridal cup emptied. Now it was time to party. How many of you remember your wedding day? Or someone else's special wedding day? Boy, husbands, you better get your hand up there. Today I want to take you, as we've seen from the video series, The Chosen, The Chosen, which refers to the chosen Jesus and the chosen being the disciples. If you haven't watched it, I challenge you, it's a series on, is it Netflix? The Chosen App. Okay, there it is. Okay. Today I want to take you to a wedding in first century Palestine, and I want us to read about this particular event. In Jesus' life, in John, John, the second chapter, first 11 verses. John 2, 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Put their faith. A wedding, a celebration. In the scheme of history, a small wedding in a a small family in a small town. No big deal, unless you're the bride or groom, or the fathers or mothers or the family. The guests included Mary, Jesus' mother, Jesus and his disciples, probably relatives and close friends of the wedding party. In verse 2, says, Jesus and his disciples had been invited. Can you pull me down just a little bit? I feel like I'm overpowered. Jesus was there, not because he was a celebrity or a famous figure. 
No one knew he was God yet. Jesus was invited because the bride and groom liked him. People in the town enjoyed being with Jesus. Max Lucator writes, I think it's significant that common folk in a little town enjoyed being with Jesus. I think it's noteworthy that the Almighty didn't act high and mighty. The Holy One was not holier than thou. The one who knew it all wasn't a know-it-all. The one who made the stars didn't keep his head in them. The one who owns all the stuff of earth never strutted it. This is the human side of Jesus. He was flesh and blood. He had family. He had friends. He loved being at celebrations. And people loved having Jesus there. He had fun. I want to look at five truths that we can learn from this story. Five truths about Jesus. Five truths about Jesus today. Number one, Jesus loved people and he had fun. Jesus loved people and he had fun. Now, we all know Jesus loved people, but had fun. Why, why is that important? Because we're all too serious. Sometimes I think we're just all too serious. Why would anyone be attracted to Jesus if he was just serious all the time? You don't think he told Norwegian jokes? You don't think God has a sense of humor? Look at the people around you. Look in the mirror and say, does God have a sense of humor? Yeah, okay. That's good. That's good. The most natural expressions of all is the smile. Okay? And once in a while, you guys do that from here. I can see smiles. The most spontaneous of all actions is laughter. And I'm not talking about a proper trite tee-hee courtesy laugh. Some of you give me courtesy laugh at my jokes sometimes, just a ha-ha-ha. <laughs> but we're talking about a long, boisterous, loud belly laugh. I mean, we're talking real laughter, real laughter. God made laughter. He made us to laugh. Studies have demonstrated the physical benefits and even healing qualities of laughter. People pay big bucks to go to a comedy just to laugh, just to laugh. So I just want this morning, I want you to lighten up, okay? We've been through serious times. You need to lighten up. Nobody's going to want to follow Jesus if we are too serious. Sometimes we need to just have fun and laugh. Have fun. So Jesus loved people and he had fun. Truth number two, Jesus knows and cares about our circumstances. Jesus knows and cares about our circumstances. In the middle of this celebration, they've got a problem. They ran out of wine. They say, what, what's the big deal? We run out of punch. We just run to the closest festival foods or a quick trip and just get some more. Well, it was actually far more serious than that. And here's where we see some cultural differences between then and now. The bride and groom were apparently responsible for the supply of wine. In the ancient Near East, there was a strong element of reciprocity about weddings. It was possible to take legal action in certain circumstances against a man who failed to provide an appropriate wedding gift. Are you kidding me? That's true. It'd be like Eau Claire police officers coming to Josh and Kristen's wedding reception, saying, sorry, Josh, you have to miss your honeymoon. You should have known better than to buy her a vacuum cleaner. You know, that's just what the thing. Exaggerating? Well, 
when the supply of wine failed, it was much more than a social embarrassment. There might have been some liability involved. Say, great, now we have to buy wine insurance. What is this? If the wine gave out before the end of the feast, sometimes it lasted a week. It was a slur on the hosts for not discharging duties of hospitality. Obviously, it's less severe today, but if you run out of food or or cake or drink before everyone is served at a wedding, it's an embarrassment. So whatever the ramifications then and now, we got a problem. And Jesus could have said, okay, poor planning, oh well, too bad they messed up. I guess they'll just have to pay the consequences. It's their fault they messed up. Do you ever view Jesus that way? He's the judge. I broke the law. He's going to hand down the sentence. I made a mistake. I I planned poorly. I sinned. And I guess God's just going to get me for this. I've got to pay the consequences of my actions. I've made poor choices. That's not how Jesus responds. He knows and he cares about our circumstance no matter who's at fault. In the historical scheme of things, this wedding would make no long-term difference. It's an unimportant wedding in a small town, insignificant couple, just a wedding. Why would Jesus care? Why would Jesus care? Have you ever felt that way? Why would Jesus care about my life, my circumstance? I'm not that important. Why would God take time to bother with me and my problem? There are a lot of things going on in the world. Well, let me know. Let Let me tell you something. Jesus knows And he cares about your circumstance. The third truth, number three. Jesus is willing to intervene and get involved to help us. Jesus is willing to intervene and get involved to help us. Now Mary, Jesus' mother, for whatever reason, feels some kind of responsibility for the situation she gets involved. So she goes up and tells Jesus they they have no more wine. Now, it's possible that she expected Jesus to do something miraculous here. Okay. Mary obviously knew about Jesus' miraculous conception. She knew, shows by her song that she sang in Luke 2, that she knows that Jesus is going to be the Messiah. So she's, she's known this all along. How would you like to be Messiah's mom? And know it. Go clean your room. Finish your vegetables. Wear your best underwear in case you're in an accident. I mean, who knows what kind of things he would say. The hometown where Jesus grew up in Nazareth thought he was just an ordinary person. So he probably had not done any signs and wonders yet. I know there are some extra biblical sources that are not included in the canon that talk about stuff. But basically, even his brothers and sisters didn't believe in him at first. So he was just this... Ordinary, son of a carpenter, small town, Nazareth. He hadn't done any signs and wonders yet. What the Messiah was to do, no one really understood yet. But instead of expecting the miraculous, Mary may have just expected the ordinary. You know, Jesus had grown up in the home. He was mature. He was resourceful. He lived with them in home for 30 years And all good sons, of course, obey their mothers. And so I'm sure that he was living in obedience to his mom. 
Mary says to Jesus, we got a problem, what can we do? And Jesus has a response that seems totally out of character for him, totally out of character. In verse 4, he calls her woman. Now, on the, on the video, he called her mother, but in the text, he calls her woman. Now, good Jewish sons usually address their mothers with the word mater, which means mother. Here, Jesus addresses her with the word gunai, meaning woman. He doesn't call her mother, he calls her woman. Why? That, that's the question. Why did he call her woman? I believe Jesus was establishing a new relationship with his mother because he was getting ready to commence on his mission, his public ministry. Why did John include this story? Because it's a nice miracle? No, because this is a change point. When she said, if not now, when? She knew at some point Jesus was going to reveal himself. This is an actually a high point in history. Jesus is going to begin his mission, the start of his mission to save humanity. This is the threshold on which we pass from the old to the new. Mary has been Jesus' mother as in maternal authority here. In one statement, Jesus establishes an entirely new order. He's about to exercise his authority as Messiah, the King, the Son of God. He says, dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. This is not disrespectful, but it means your concern and mine are not the same. There's a change in role and relationship at this one point in history. That's why it's in the book of John. A change point. Change in role. Have you ever noticed the subtle shifts that occur in our role as parents and children? Parents with children. When they're young, we put them to bed early, and they go to bed, and we stay up late and play their video games. And I don't know if you ever did that. I was never very good at it. Anyway, but we would stay up late, they go to bed, and then they get into junior high, and they, they stay up about as long as we do. By the time we get to high school, we go to bed, and they, they stay up until all hours of the night. There's, there's a role relationship, a reversal, a, a subtle shift in the nature of our relationship. Parents care for their children, and as they grow older, there becomes a, a, a subtle responsibility shift where children begin to feel responsible for their parents. At the end of life, most, most parents are depending on their children. There's a change, a very basic change. And it's a very basic illustration of the nature of change in a relationship. And when Jesus calls his mother woman and says, my time has not yet come, he's establishing a radical change of relationship and asserting his authority over the timing of his life and authority. Time or hour has not come. But this is the time of life that Jesus will reveal his true identity and make public by his actions that he is the Messiah. He's initiating his role, the inauguration of his public ministry. It's to be the beginning of interventions that 
that help people. Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So at this time in history, Jesus begins his miraculous interventions at a small-town wedding. Small-town wedding. Jesus was willing to intervene and help this couple at the high point of their life, potentially the low point of their life. Jesus intervenes, revealing then, at that point in time, who who he is. No matter what your challenge is today, it might, might seem trite or unimportant to other people. You may ask and say, you know, in light of current world events, why would God care about my little life or my insignificant problems or whatever? Jesus knows, cares, and he's willing to intervene and get involved to help you. Help you. He doesn't just help nations and cities and important people. He hears all of our prayers, our pleas for help. Jesus, being all-knowing, knew they had run out of wine, but he got involved when he was informed and requested. And you know what? Jesus is just waiting to hear from you. What are you facing? He knows all of those things. People say, why should I pray? God knows everything anyway. No, he's waiting for us to ask. What are you facing? Bankruptcy? Bills? An unwanted divorce in the family? Emotional stress from abuse? Maybe it's depression or or loneliness. Maybe you're tired. You just don't have any energy or any strength left. Job pressures, time pressures, one more school function, another athletic practice, another doctor's appointment. Maybe, Maybe you have run out of wine. Pray. Ask. God. Jesus wants to intervene and get involved to help you. So Jesus loves people and had fun. Jesus knows and cares about our circumstances. Three, Jesus is willing to intervene and get involved to help us. And fourth, Jesus has the power and will use it to help us. Jesus has the power and he will use it to help us. Now, how do we know that? Faith. Faith. How do I know this story is even true? Faith. How do we know that Jesus existed? Faith. And you may be here this morning and doubt all these things, and that's okay. Ask questions and search. We have great historical documentation, even from non-biblical or extra-biblical sources, proof that a very unusual man named Jesus lived in first century Palestine, gained a following, reportedly did miraculous deeds, was murdered by the Romans, and his followers believed and claimed he rose from the dead. How can we believe all that stuff? Faith. Faith. How many of you use the internet? Okay, every, every hand's up. Okay, pretty much. Use the internet. 30 years ago, if you would have told me that I could type a message on a typewriter keyboard, point a clicker called a mouse on an icon labeled send, on a television screen called a monitor, and the message I typed would travel wirelessly through cyberspace to thousands of recipients all over the world simultaneously, I'd have said, you're crazy. 
And of course, now you can speak the same message and send it text or voice the same way. How do we know that the email message is going to get where you're sending it? This is, by the way, why I send emails and call to make sure you got it. But how do you know it went there? Faith. Do you see it? No. Faith. And our vocabulary has changed. A virus is what our computer catches. We have spam we can't eat. Of course, some of you wouldn't eat it anyway. That's okay. We have Twitter. We have Tweet. We have Facebook. We like and we friend on Instagram. We post and put stuff on Facebook and gets liked. We're not. Now, those of you who are techies, probably younger generation, can explain how all this works. Okay? We have some techies in the church that can explain how it all works. The rest of us just have faith. Okay? We don't understand how it works, but it works. But just because we do not understand how something works does not mean it doesn't work. How did Jesus turn water into wine? I don't know. I don't understand how it's possible any more than sending an email. Just saying. Jesus knew how it worked. Some think that if we understand it, it's normal occurrence. If we don't understand it, it's a miracle. Let me say that again. If we understand it, it's a normal occurrence. If we don't understand it, it's a miracle. But really, a miracle is an intervention by God in the normal course of events to cause something out of the ordinary to happen. Let me say that again. A miracle is an intervention by God in the normal course of events to cause something out of the ordinary to happen. My understanding or lack of so is not what makes it a miracle. It's God's intervention. Whether I understand it or not has nothing to do with it, whether it's a miracle. God just decided to speak and the entire universe came into existence. He created everything in the universe, even email, by the way. To God, these are everyday occurrences. To us, they're all miracles. By the way, you can just, you know, you can email God too. Only it's not new, it's called prayer. But that's, that's another topic. We pray, we ask, and he acts. It works. How do we know? Faith. Faith. Jesus has the power and will use it to help us. And did you know he always does things right? Verse 10 said he made the best wine. (laughs) When he does things right, he does the best. The fifth truth about Jesus. Jesus' miracles are signs to show us who he is so we can put our faith in him. Jesus' miracles are signs to show us who he is so we can put our faith in him. In him. Verse 11 says, this is the first, very first, of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and what happened? And it says, and his disciples put their faith in him. This was his first miraculous sign. What does a sign do? It points the way. It gives, gives directions. And this sign points to Jesus. It revealed his glory. It revealed who he was. And the disciples responded by putting their faith in him. Put 
your faith. They put their faith in Jesus. When we see God work, a, a response is always required. We can choose to believe. We can choose not to believe. We can choose to trust. We can choose not to trust. We can choose to place our faith in or not to put our faith in. There's no such thing as indecision or no decision. No action is rejection. The followers of Jesus took action. They believed. They trusted. Said they put their faith in Jesus. Do you believe all this? Will you put your faith in him? Do you need a miracle today? You may be here today and never have put your faith in Jesus. Or you may have decided to run your own life and put your faith in someone else or something else. Jesus is speaking to each and every one of us today. Extending a call to put your faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you started this ministry in an ordinary setting, in a small town in, in Galilee. And I pray, God, that you would teach us anew how you take ordinary things and do extraordinary things. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to focus our attention on you, the God of the universe, that care about every detail of our lives. And I pray, God, today that you'll build our faith and that we would focus our faith on you. In Jesus' name, amen.